Hi, I'm Kira from Katona, New York. I'm Russ from Bloomington, Indiana. I'm Natalie from Boston, Massachusetts. The Style of Young America is an independent production. Supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Before I talk to the screenwriter Scott Armstrong, let's hear a clip from his new film, The Hangover Part 2. The movie stars Zach Galifianakis, Ed Helms, and Bradley Cooper, a returning cast from the first film. Here, Galifianakis' character is giving a clumsy wedding toast to Helms' character at a rehearsal dinner. Hey everybody, here's some fun facts. The population in Thailand is 63 million people. It is twice the size of Wyoming. None of you know stew like I do. I can't even tell you what we've been through because we made a pact. What I can tell you is this. This is not Stu's first marriage. There was a whore in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Scott Armstrong, is one of the most successful comedy screenwriters in America. He's uh, written or co-written films, including but not limited to uh, Old School, Semi-Pro, Starsky and Hutch, most recently... Uh, the Hangover 2. He's also contributed to films, including, again, but not limited to uh, Elf and Bad Santa. Uh, Scott, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Hi. Glad to be here. So I, I want to start with a simple question, which is, um, I, I know that you're an improviser and have been an improviser for a long time, but was being a writer and specifically a film writer always an objective of yours? Um, I always... Uh, from the beginning, I always wanted to get paid to write. I thought it would be fun. And when I was in high school, I went to a, uh, uh, a a career day, and I was able to meet a guy who worked in advertising. And I kept asking him questions like, but who buys the media? And who has to do all the designing? And who, he's like, I just get paid to think of ideas. That's all I do. And so from sophomore year of high school on, uh, it was my goal to be a copywriter and then also perform like it, you know, I started training at Second City and Improv Olympic and that kind of stuff in Chicago, um, and that's how I met Todd Phillips. Actually, I, I was a huge fan of his uh, uh, documentary "Hated," the Gigi Allen story, and uh, hired him as a director to direct these Miller Jim and Draft commercials. We met in Milwaukee, and right about that same time, Ivan Reitman was asking him to for a uh, an idea for like an Animal House on the Road type of movie, and. Uh, I ended up calling sick into work and flying down to Universal Studios and meeting Todd there and going in and pitching what became Road Trip, and that was our first movie. When you pitched Road Trip, uh, how complete was the idea? Um, looking back on it, we probably should have had everything, everything really worked out <laughs> a lot more thoroughly. I think it's more competitive these days when you go into a room to pitch. Uh, but also I think that Ivan Reitman really did believe he, he uh, in us. He, I think he saw us as two funny guys, especially Todd. Um, I mean, my advice to everyone out there that wants to become a screenwriter is to have someone who just won Sundance ask you to be their writing partner. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Um, I'll forever be in, in, in indebted to Todd. And uh, I mean, we did work well together, and this is our fifth collaboration. in This movie, Road Trip, made um, more than hundred million dollars. It was a big success. Yeah, we I mean, had like a sixteen million dollar budget, and and uh, it was one of those. You know, small movies that took off. Um, and I, I remember going to see it in the theater. And I remember really enjoying it in the theater. Um, and 
that led more or less directly to old school. And now old school has always struck me as a very performer centric film that you have some folks in this movie like Will Ferrell and, and Vince Vaughn who have personae that are huge and powerful that you either have to, that you really have to write for, I, I imagine. Did you start with those guys in mind when you started working on that movie? The answer is yes. Um, and, you know, Vince had done uh, Swingers, and then, and, which I thought was just a masterpiece and a great, he's just an incredible performer in that movie, just so funny. And then after that did, you know, movies like Clay Pigeons and, uh, a shot for shot remake of psycho and just made some decisions and made some movies that didn't seem to be really tapping into his full potential as a comedian, you know? So we were just like, this is the funniest guy ever. We got to write for him. So that was definitely that part of Beanie was written for, for Vince. And that's, that was one of our favorite voices ever to write in. And we love writing for Vince. You get the feeling that he can sell anything that he can throw this bizarre over-the-top conviction into almost anything yeah i mean he's the one who convinces everyone that starting a fraternity is a great idea even though you're 10 years out of college this place is unbelievable mitch you like it i don't know how you could still be depressed this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to us us yeah us look do not get selfish on me here okay now stay with me you put a bar in over there mm-hmm. right a couple lazy boys yeah. fill it out you definitely need a smarter couch you can put a hot tub almost anywhere in this place we are going to get so much ass here, it's going to be sick. I'm talking like crazy, like boy band ass. That sounds like a lot of fun, but I need a little time to get my life back together. What we need to do is throw like a big kickoff, like kick-ass party to Absolutely. start things off here. Break it in think? a little, meet the neighbors, yeah. right? Okay. No, I think we, we should get... probably go tropical with this thing. Uh-huh. Like sand from wall to wall. I know a great sand guy would get at a price. Sand in here? Or foam, whatever, something in here. You, Frank, you understand the kind of thing I'm talking about. Absolutely. Good. I'm good either way. Just need to run it by Marissa. I'm messing with you guys. That's not a funny. Joke. It's not funny. And now the baby's upset. Let's talk about Will Ferrell for a second. He, st- he was in old school very early in his career before he was the mega superstar that we think of now when we think of Will Ferrell. Um, tell me a little bit about what's special about writing for him and his particular comic voice. <sighs> um, I mean, he's just so funny. He's just naturally funny. He's the kind of guy that... Uh, I mean, I've heard other people say the same thing where he can almost be not trying to be funny and he just makes you laugh. He's sweet, you know, and he's he's able to get away with so much because he's sweet. We're going streaky! And I think that he's uh, there's a sincerity to him, too. You're you're just automatically rooting for him and um, he finds things that are funny about a scene that are not the obvious thing all the time, which, you know, make the filmmakers look smart. Um, You know, like, he can run naked down the street and that's funny, you know, to be streaking because he's too old to be streaking. And, you know, it's kind of like cliche of college. But then, you know, when his wife catches him, he's, it's funny that he's not sure if he should get in the car or not, you know, because you know, he's not, he doesn't want to be rude because he thinks other people might be coming along after him. And, you know, it just, it just, he has layers to things. Frank! Hey, honey! Hey! What the hell are you doing? We're streaking! We're going up through the quad to the gymnasium. Who's streaking? There's there's more coming. Frank, get in the car. Everybody's doing it. Now. Okay. I think in this in this movie and also we see it in, in The Hangover and The Hangover 2, 
you have to have these kind of performers who have that, who have something sweet about them um, in order for the audience to like them and want them uh, to do more stuff when they do something really ill-advised and or possibly immoral or bad. Yeah. I mean, if you start at the beginning with making characters too, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about like, well, the characters need to be likable. Or you go to a meeting and it's like, I don't know if this guy's likable. And it's like, not every, every character needs to be likable all the time. I mean, the stories are about people that are making decisions you don't agree with all the time. And the best comedy actors can get away with stuff that nobody else can. You know what I mean? It, it, just it, there's something about it in their eyes and the way they do it. It's just it, it, they make something that might be uh, completely mean, cruel, violent, crazy. Um, they can make choices like that, but still get away with it with a wink. You know, I look back at like you know movies that John Belushi's in or Bill Murray, and those guys can they just get away with murder. You know what I mean? And it's just that's the key, to, I think, to a great comic actor. After a break, I'll ask Scott Armstrong about the difficulty of writing a sequel to the highest-grossing R-rated comedy of all time, The Hangover. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of T-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at vgkids.com. The Sound of Young America is a proud sponsor of Sketchfest NYC in New York City at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, June 8th through 11th. You can catch some of the best sketch comedy in the country, including past Sound of Young America guests, the whitest kids you know, folks from Marvel Comics, and the legendary Rejection Show. You can find more information about Sketchfest NYC online at sketchfestnyc.com. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. And by Field Notes Brand, makers of American memo books and more. Now featuring county fair editions, one for each state in the United States of America. Field Notes Brand. I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Fieldnotesbrand.com. Welcome back to The Sound of Young America. My guest, Scott Armstrong, wrote The Hangover Part 2. It's in theaters now. You've worked on movies like Starsky and Hutch that are based on something that had existed previously, but Starsky and Hutch was also uh, essentially a spoof, um, or in significant part, half and half, a, a spoof of that thing that had gone before. Um, well, The Wardrobe was a strict interpretation of the original <laughs> TV series. <laughs> the Wardrobe was very, very there, accurate. There were some very bold wardrobe choices in that film. I yeah. remember Pat Oswalt being in some things that I don't look forward to seeing Pat Oswalt again <laughs> again in the future. Um, but you, you've, worked on, you've worked on projects like that that are interpretations. Um, School for Scoundrels was also an adaptation. But um, uh, the hangover, kind of. the hangover two is a different kind of um, is a different kind of uh, challenge, and that is that you have this thing in front of you that was the hangover that was extraordinarily successful, and it is also there are things about this thing that people love. I'm sure there were things about it that you love, and you have to figure out um, what 
what can we do to make this its own thing? What can we do to make people happy that loved the first thing? Um, what can we do even simply, I mean, I imagine in making the hangover, you have the challenge of you have to get the audience to buy the fact that crazy stuff just went down again to the same people. Yeah. I mean, you just laid out all the things I was thinking about when we first started working on the first day, (laughs) you know, um, how, how did you yeah. start? How did you start working on it the first day? I mean, I can't imagine there were plans for Hangover Two when the Hangover One was conceived. It was more of something where it was so successful. How could you not? Um, yeah, I mean, we had to decide. Sort of uh, it, it, the, the plot of the movie. It, it, I think th- this is something that happens to these three guys. You know, it's like we had to decide. Like, do these three guys have that Hangover moment again? You know, do they do they wake up somewhere? And, and once we um, decided to sort of follow that same structure. I think, like you were saying, it does. You don't want them just to do something completely different and go rob a bank together or whatever. You know, I think the, the hangover is what that is. What happens to these guys? Um, <laughs> just for some reason. Um, and uh, once we decided to, to follow the structure, it, everything else is new about the thing. You know, we we got to invent all, an entirely new plot. Uh, they're in a, a new place, Bangkok, that is much more intense and the movie is, is much darker i think in, in uh than the first you know nothing will i think live up to the first because it's always the first thing but i think that hopefully we, we created something that lives in the same league as the, as the hangover it's interesting to me that you say that this is the this is what happens to these guys because it strikes me that <laughs> when you're creating a comedy world it can be almost anything as long as it has rules and is coherent. And if the rules of this world are, this is what happens to these guys, then it's easy to say, yes, this has happened again to them. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I think there's that that rule in comedy where it's like, you can ask the the audience to accept one unusual thing, but as soon as you ask him to, to accept two unusual things, then you're in a different genre. The tone of the film is different from the tone of the first film. And that was a lot of that was Todd. You know, at the beginning, he, he, he's always the master of the tone of the film. Um, even, you know, all the movies we've written together, he always has in his mind um, exactly the tone he's trying to create as a filmmaker and as a director. And that's one of the cool things about being a the writing partner of someone who's actually the director and not just someone who's going to send it off to a director, you know, a relationship with, you can, we can discuss tone before we start creating it. So when he's, when, when he's shooting it, it's, it's, um, everything seems to be sort of, uh, integrated and working. The first hangover film was, is sort of like a, a buddy movie or, or a road movie. And that it was three very charming characters sort of discovering things along this path um, including dangers and conflicts and so on, but it was just happened to be that their path was heading backwards into the previous day's events. Mm-hmm. Um, this new film, uh, the tone is almost like, uh, almost like a, a you know a Nicolas Cage suspense film. Uh, only instead of being a little bit funny, just because Nicolas Cage is always a little bit funny. <laughs> Um, it's it's we almost cast Nicolas Cage. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The the uh, uh, the stakes are occasionally uh, pierced or twisted or even amplified with comedy instead of like a you know brutal moment of violence or something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
you definitely don't want to do a sequel to a movie like The Hangover and and make the stakes less and do less and you know the the fun of this was to um you know really make them pay the price for what they did the night before um you know I, the movie was really really fun to work, to to work on together and i think we just kept trying to one up each other um and hopefully we uh delivered something that uh is going to be a heightening of, of the of the you know the mythos yeah exactly you know um uh, it's a, it's a more intense movie, and we we, we, we uh, intend on doing that from the very beginning. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest Scott Armstrong wrote The Hangover Part Two, starring Zach Galifianakis, Ed Helms, and Bradley Cooper. Let's talk about these three actors that you have in these three main roles in, in these films. Um, first of all, Zach Galifianakis, who I don't think a lot of people knew of before at, at all before the first Hangover film. I mean, he had had a he had a short lived show on VH1, and he was a successful stand up comic. I he mean, was a, yeah, he was a revered stand up comic and regular did, did regular stuff in East Village, New York. He was regular yeah. Sound of Young America listeners knew who yeah, he was exactly. because he'd He's been great. a guest on the Sound of Young America. But yeah. um, he was someone who just exploded nationally as he was captured on. In this in this first film what was it that was special about zach and i have to say as monstrous of a fan of zach galifianakis as i was before this movie came out and as delighted as i was to see that he was going to be starring in a movie i thought huh i wonder if that is a thing that works you know like i was not a hundred percent certain that zach galifianakis as the star of a movie would be something that would be great it was uh, but what were the special qualities of him that as you looked at the first film, you thought, this is what we need to harness to make the second film successful? I mean, I think we debated uh, – Alan, Alan, the character that, that uh, Zach Galifianakis plays, is probably the most debated character in the writer's room when, we're, when, when Todd and, and Craig and I are working together. I mean, he's someone that you're constantly saying, like, would he say that? Would he decide to do that? What's his motivation here? You know, he. I think there's – it's it's such a complicated he's such a complicated character but he's he gets away with so much because i think he's so innocent but the the real reason why he's so funny is that he's he can say cruel things or mean things that he thinks are true but he doesn't understand why they're would be offensive to somebody or you know he can get away with saying just about anything he he's someone who has a a real temper he's someone that's uh, a kid that's just spoiled when you're setting up three characters to be funny you know to have the one guy that really is just off the hook and can just say random stuff that just makes you laugh or just thinks that you know are coming at, from a completely different point of view with no logic um that is always a great setup i think for for comedy it seems like he can do so much in part because his motivation for almost everything that he does is his absolute rock solid belief core belief in this friendship <laughs> even yeah. though it's it's unmerited even though at the beginning of this film he's not even going to be invited he's a, soci- he's a complete sociopath and he, <laughs> and he actually he's delusional and he, he truly believes that you know these his friends must be part of the wolf pack must be together um which is just completely ridiculous um but i also think that uh you know todd and Zach have always sort of held the key to what's inside Alan's brain. You know, th- those are the ones when we're, we'd be debating, like, what he would say. I, I think that they truly have the best grasp on exactly what is going on in Alan's mind. They hold the key to that sick brain. 
Bradley Cooper in this film, I think, goes even um, even further than he did in the first film towards uh, towards darkness. Um, he's no less committed to this f- friendship than uh, Zach Galifianakis' character or Ed Helms' character is. He's he's very deeply connected. But I was really, frankly, surprised as I watched the film at how much of a jerk you let this incredibly handsome man that all the women are coming to this movie to see be. Well, I, I don't know if he's so much of a jerk as, as someone who's able to be a leader and sort of like slap guys in the face and wake them up and say, look, we need to get this done. Like he's, he's leading the pursuit of uh, putting these clues together from the beginning. Uh, he's, he's the guy that can charm somebody or sell somebody on the idea of like what they need to get done next. Um, he's the one who's constantly putting clues together um, and, and leading these guys. I mean, I think at Stu Price at Helms character has the ability to, to, put gigantic puzzles together in his own way too. But I think that, um, on a step at the beginning, I think, uh, you know, Stu Price is overloaded and overwhelmed with what they've been hit with. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, um, Phil, his name's the character, you know, Bradley's character is Phil in, in the movie. And I think Phil really does lead these guys right off the bat to help them like, get them on the road to uh, trying to save themselves. The movie is really at, at its heart about a transformation in Ed Helms character. Um, what was it that you liked about Ed Helms as a performer? I think everybody is rooting for Ed all the time because he is, he does, he just happens to represent sort of the every man. He's got a sincerity about him that you kind of root for and love. And, uh, you know, he, he he's put upon you know he he gets he finds himself in situations like in you know in this movie where he's just uh basically called out for being sort of a wuss and not good enough for the woman he's going to marry and uh um a lot of things in this movie i think happened to ed more than the other guys you know um we're, we were constantly on on in this movie asking a lot of the character of Stu. you know he 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 of all people kept getting um nailed with stuff and uh we've, we've he's like i you know i don't know there, there was a moment actually there's a lot of improvisation in the film too of course you know when you have great actors like zach and adam bradley you don't want to like say like only say these words you know like you want them to and that's what makes todd great about as a director too he's he's um he's great at letting the guys go in the right direction as long as it's driven from a character point of view and not just like finding some random turn of phrase for these guys to be funny in a weird way. It's always like sort of driving the story forward or funny reactions to what's going on. The movie has so many uh, complicated pieces to it. It's uh, uh, everything has to feel perfectly natural following upon the last thing. And you can almost never rely upon, well, they just happen to stumble into this or stumble into that because you're, building suspense throughout this film it's a it's a it's a very very funny suspense movie in some ways and it's a true mystery yeah i mean it's it's a it's a it's it's a backwards sort of i mean mystery i guess it's going forwards to try and solve the mystery but they're trying to solve like an entire night of events that they you know experience but we don't but no one knows what happened when you're trying to think of 
these wonderful comic set pieces that make up this film because it mirrors the structure of The Hangover 1, which also was made up of these wonderful comic set pieces. How does the fact that you are also trying to create pieces to a puzzle uh, affect that? Well, first of all, I have to say I have incredible respect for the writers Lucas and Moore and also, you know, Jeremy Garlick and Todd Phillips, who also, you know, contributed to the first Hangover. I mean, that um, I hadn't fully grasped how complicated it can be to lay out a, a, a story like this, let alone making it funny, uh, making sure everything tracks. You know, the, the first step, um, it's a combination. You know, sometimes you start working on, like, the wake-up scene, like, okay, what do they wake up with? First of all, you got to get them to where you're going to get them. And, you know, writing the first act, I thought, like, that that was probably the most organic, free-flowing moment in writing was writing, like, how they ended up going to the wedding in, in, in Thailand and... and uh, but as soon as you hit the uh, the Bangkok part, you know them waking up. It's like you got to decide. We try, I think we decided we we discussed the the wake up scene more than any other scene in the film. Uh, and then your first pass was probably like twenty two pages of like the things they could have found and not found. And but the you want it to be funny and surprising, but you also need every single thing in the that in that room to be a lead and a clue that leads to something that's actually really important and a big funny set piece when you get there. So it has to be a a ticket to a great scene later. Um, you know, once we got it sort of laid out, it became a lot more, it was satisfying to crack the puzzle and to crack the story and, and to realize, oh man, we really laid out something that seems to, to really work as a mystery story. But then the, the funnest part was obviously making up the set pieces, you know, with the, set pieces are still set pieces, even though it, <laughs> they're, they're following a, a mystery, uh, you know, they're trying to, it's a mystery uh, setup. All the things are big, funny moments you know you have to find out what happens to them as they're trying to find the clues and what makes this sort of um special and makes them able to get away with a lot is that they're as horrified by their behavior as everybody else when they when they discover things are you now ready to write like the next james bond movie or something like that (laughs) um no but but uh (laughs) But this this was you know truly following. I think I think comedy can be the hardest thing to write, and the reason is it has to work as a drama or as a mystery or as a as a true romance or whatever you're writing. It has to work solely on that level, purely as a story, as a drama, and then within that, it has to be funny the whole time. Um, you have to have both. You know, the best comedies have a, a great story combined with great comedy, and so I think most comedy writers that um, have a good feel for how to make a great comedy could also write drama if they, if they wanted to. I'm not that, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a totally different thing, but I think it's structurally, they would probably understand it. Who knows how they, comedy writers would do with dramatic dialogue or whatever. But I think that structure wise, most comedy writers get that. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the San Diego America. Hey, thank you. Scott Armstrong has co-written, basically every successful comedy film of the past 10 years or so. His latest project was The Hangover Part 2. It's in theaters now. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download any of our shows absolutely 100% for free. You can also find this show and our other shows, like the comedy talk show Jordan Jesse Go for free, in iTunes. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me. My email address is jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. That's jesse at MaximumFun.org. 
My only request is that you not correct my grammar. I guess that's about all that needs to be said. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.